Hello and welcome to another podcast episode. It's six o'clock in the morning and it's dark. Now then, the weather. Lashing with rain, absolutely lashing with rain. It's 10 degrees centigrade, which is 50 Fahrenheit, 96% humidity, and the pressure is really low, 976 millibars. 976, that is very, very low. The flag, well, it's dark, but it seems to be wrapped around the pole. No, it's coming from the west, a little bit of wind from the west. So that's not too bad. Do you remember I mentioned recently about getting emails from far-flung places? I said perhaps Ascension Island, Christmas Island. (laughs) Well, I haven't had any from there, but Gail, lovely to hear from you from Cape Breton. Now, my geography is not too good. I looked that up. Cape Breton Island, Nova Scotia, Canada. And Gail says, this past weekend, 60 inches of snow. That's five feet. I'm six foot two. Imagine five foot of snow at the weekend. With high winds and snow drifts, 12 feet high. That's twice my height. Stone the crows. Our dusting of snow here. I thought that was uh, pretty bad. No, we didn't have a dusting. I don't think we had anything, did we? Gail loves the stories, listens every week which is good. Lovely to hear from you, Gail. So is there anyone else, any far-flung places? Not that Cape Breton Island is far-flung, but it's a bit different, isn't it? A bit different than the sort of normal places like Nottingham, London, Cornwall. (laughs) Excellent. Lovely to hear from you, Gail. Thank you for that. Oh, one more thing before I forget. Gail says, do we have snowstorms here? I don't know, to be honest. What is a how would you classify a snowstorm? Yeah, we have all these beasts from the east and Arctic blasts and freezing colder than Iceland and all this sort of thing going on. But I don't know about a snowstorm. Possibly, Gail, up in Scotland, to the north of the British Isles, they may have them up there, but I don't know. I'll have to look up the definition of a snowstorm to see exactly what that is. That's not something I've seen in all these ridiculous headlines we keep getting. So possibly we don't. I will look into it and let you know. Sophie, hello to you. Thanks for your email. You did something dreadful, you say. (laughs) Something dreadful. What you did was back in the, it was at the 70s, you said, you worked in a cake shop bakery type thing where they sold small cakes, not big birthday cakes, wedding cakes, all the small cakes, bath buns, what else are they called? Little pastries, things like that. And what you did, you had some leaflets printed and you put them into each customer's bag. So if someone came in, two almond slices, please, you'd serve them up with that. And you'd drop one of your leaflets, which you had hidden in your apron, into their paper bag and off they went. Everyone's wondering what the leaflets were all about. Here's the thing. The leaflet said... Wedding cakes, birthday cakes, made to your specification. Phone Sophie on blah, 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 whatever phone number. Fantastic idea. Dreadful, but fantastic. The boss found out, inevitably found out, obviously. He's going to see the notices somewhere or someone's going to mention it to him at some stage. Sophie, he said, I want a word with you. You're sacked. You're fired. Go and get your coat now. She didn't argue. There was nothing to say, really. She was caught, (laughs) red-handed, cake-handed, and instant dismissal. Sophie got her coat from the back room and was walking through the shop to the main door when he said, hang on, can I have one of your leaflets? So she gave him one of her leaflets and he said, I'll just put this here. He folded the bottom over where her name and phone number was, folded that over, put the leaflet on the counter for everyone to see. And she said, well, what are you doing? What's what's this about? I'll be taking orders for your cakes, he said. Each time I get an order, I'll give you a ring. And of course, I want a discount. That way you make a profit, I make a profit. She couldn't believe it. And she said to him, apparently, I thought I was sacked. You want me to work for you? No, he said, you work for yourself. I will buy cakes from you at a discount and I will sell them. That's brilliant, Sophie. I like that idea. That was a dreadful thing to do getting free advertising like that from customers in his shop, all going off with one of your leaflets. It could have ended up a lot worse. You could have just been sacked and that was that. She went on, apparently, to 
do really well making cakes and ended up, many years later, with her own shop. So well done, Sophie. See, dreadfulness can lead to <laughs> something rather good. But I'm not suggesting people should be dreadful. <laughs> we went to the wetlands last weekend at Arundel and it brought back many memories. I used to go fishing over there. There's the River Arran. And there was a small kind of river from that, or large stream, I suppose, from that, that had fish in. And I used to go fishing there. This is now the wetlands area. So it's all changed dramatically since I was there. But I used to go fishing there and also in gravel pits. And up at Storrington, there was a gravel pit there. You weren't allowed in there. But a friend of mine, we used to cycle up there together with our fishing gear and our boxes of maggots. Oh, dear. We'd put maggots on the hooks and then eat our sandwiches. Right, moving on swiftly. You don't want to know that, do you? Here's the thing. I didn't like catching fish. I really didn't like it. I used to go to the river at Pulborough as well. I'd cycle there. Can you imagine? I would cycle also to Arundel and back. Miles. Now, here's the thing. I didn't like catching the fish, so I didn't put any bait on the hook. Now, you might think that daft, but it was rather good. In the end, I didn't even have a hook. I had the float with a few weights hanging off underneath on about, I don't know, two feet of line, just a few lead shot. And I'd sit there watching the float bob up and down. Lovely summer's day in the sunshine. The odd walker would go by and say, have you caught anything? No, not yet, I'd say, nothing yet. One or two people would say, what sort of bait are you using? And I'd just say, oh, maggots. Oh, OK, yeah, you should do all right with that. Off they went. I didn't even have a hook on the end of the line. I didn't like catching fish, but I loved sitting there by the lake or by the river, just enjoying the summer sunshine, the birds singing, the floats bobbing up and down. It was wonderful. <laughs> people thought I was mad. Well, the few people I told thought I was mad. Talking of fishing, we watched Out of Town on uh, Monday evening, was it? Jack Hargreaves, yes, 6.30 Monday evening on Talking Pictures, out of town. They're going to show them every Monday now. Fantastic to watch that programme after all these years. 1980, I believe it was. I know I mentioned that in the uh, midweek message, but I thought I'd mention that again in case you're interested and you've forgotten. 6.30 Talking Pictures TV, whatever it's called. Really nice to see him. He wasn't fishing. He was out and about with his donkey. He bought a donkey that was very, very loud vocally, whatever they do, all that noise. And he had his vocal, the donkey's vocal cords operated on. So he still made a noise, but it wasn't so dreadful. <laughs> and they showed you the operation, which wasn't very nice. He did warn people, you know, we're going to show the operation, so look away now, sort of thing. Interesting, though, I used to like Jack Hargreaves and the programme How he was on, wasn't he? How. Do you remember that? How. I can't do that. Along with, I can't remember their names, Fred Dynage was one, I think, wasn't he? Fred Dynage and a couple of others. I don't know. It was a long time ago. I just had a look on Google Maps. Worthing to Arundel is 11 miles. And if you're doing it on your bicycle, as I did, 59 minutes. So that's one hour. Hour there, hour back, round trip, 22 miles. How about that on my bike? Do you know, I reckon I used to do, I was working this out the other day. I probably did at least 30 miles a week on my bike, if not more. Up to Pulborough. Well, that, how far is that? Brighton, that's what, 10 miles? From here, Brighton's about 10 miles. We used to cycle all the way along the seafront to Brighton and back, obviously, and thought nothing of it. This is when I was, I don't know, 12, 13 14. Thought nothing of it. Oh, let's go to Brighton. OK, off we went. Take a few sandwiches, a bottle of pop, and off we went. <laughs> no wonder we kept fit. I've just checked Pulborough on the map from here. 15 miles, 30 mile round trip. Can you believe it? 30 mile round trip to go fishing at Pulborough by the bridge there, if anyone knows it. Lovely spot. I did have a was it a piscatorial, pistorial? What's that fishing license you get? Piscatorial or something license. Be careful how I say that. Used to go and pay a shilling or something in one of the cottages, a kind of row of terraced houses. You go in there and get your fishing license for the day or something. 30 mile round trip on my bike. 
Struth, I don't think I could cycle to the end of the road and back now. There was one dreadful thing I did, seeing as that's the kind of subject at the moment. I, when I was young, cycled up to, I won't tell you where, near the woods, cycled up there, climbed up a tree with my bag. I had an old canvas army type bag and in the bag was a telephone. (laughs) I don't know where I got the telephone, the old dial type telephone. And on the end of the wire, I put a couple of what we call crocodile clips or alligator clips, you know. So I'm up this tree and all the phone lines are running through the tree. Dozens of them. Do you remember all the old telegraph poles in the old days? Most of them ran alongside the railway line, didn't they? Fantastic. I used to love the phone lines. I'll tell you why. Because up this tree, all the phone lines going through, I'd get these crocodile clips, clip them to each one to a different line, and you could hear people talking. And I'd, I'd have my phone and I'd be saying, hello? And you have perhaps a couple of ladies talking to each other and they'd say, who's that? And I'd say, oh, this is Fred here. How are you doing? Well, get off the line. We're having a conversation. Oh, can I listen? You know, I used to muck about. Was that dreadful? Probably against the law. Well, it was phone tapping, wasn't it? I better not admit to that. No, it wasn't me. It was a friend of mine. (laughs) Happy days. That was great fun. Just going back to my cycling days. When I was 14, I had a girlfriend who lived in Washington. That's eight miles north of here. I went up there and back on my bike every Saturday to see her. I didn't go in the week. Of course, the thing is, you couldn't do that these days. The roads are just so busy with traffic. I know some of you have said, oh, you you compare when I was a boy back then to these days. There's no comparison, really. I do understand that. Because cycling, for example, the school I went to, 600 boys there, most of them went by bike. And there were shoals of bikes can you have shoals of bikes flocks flocks of bicycles all heading all going to this sort of hub this center point where the school was and then at four in the afternoon millions of bikes well not millions only 600 boys there but all going home again these days you couldn't do that the roads are too dangerous i wouldn't cycle anywhere on the roads now i know a lot of people still do but i wouldn't do that now it's too dangerous you only want a driver glancing down at his radio or looking at their phone, which is illegal, but they do it. You've only got to have a driver lose concentration for a a second or two and he could hit a bike. And of course the driver would be okay, but the chap on the bike would not be okay at all. So I wouldn't go on a bicycle. I just don't like the idea of it. I'm sure I'm right. You know, I must have done 30 or 40 miles a week on my bike every weekend. Anyway, There we are. That's enough of my bike. I fell off it in the end and ruptured my liver. That was the end of my cycling. (laughs) I don't think I've been on. Yes, I have been on a bike since. 30 years ago, I had a racing bike and I started to use that. Yes, that was about 30 years ago. I started to use that just to go locally to the shop or wherever I was going. And what happened to that? I think it got stolen. And then that was the end of the cycling altogether. Another dreadful story now. Well, a story about being dreadful. The story isn't dreadful. (laughs) This is from Glenn. Hello, Glenn. He says his dad used to work away all week. He'd go to London on the train and he'd be gone all week. And his dad left the car at home. Now, Glenn wasn't allowed to use the car. And his dad would check the mileage. Before he went away for the week, he'd check the mileage, make a note of it. So what Glenn used to do was climb under the car disconnect the speedometer from the gearbox. I don't know whether you remember the old cars. You could unscrew it. So the speedometer and the mileometer thing didn't work. And he borrowed his dad's car. He'd be out every night, (laughs) every night in the week, going here and there, taking mates out. And then the day his dad was due back, he'd he'd park the car properly where his dad had left it, put the speedo cable back onto the gearbox make sure all was okay, put the keys back where they belonged, and that was it. He put petrol in, by the way, he did mention that in his email. So that's good, Glenn, that is a dreadful thing. The trouble is he got caught. Again, it was inevitable, wasn't it? You can't do that and not get caught eventually. Apparently his mum just kept quiet. She made out that she knew nothing about it. Obviously she did. What happened was Glenn parked the car, made sure there was nothing in it, no telltale signs, did all that. His dad came back for the weekend, used the car and said, oh, the speedo's not working. Oops, Glenn had forgotten to screw the cable. 
back onto the gearbox underneath the car. Of course, his dad had a look round, what's going on, saw the cable was off. It was obvious someone had unscrewed it. Well, it wasn't Glenn's mum, was it? She wouldn't be crawling under the car, taking the cable off. It was Glenn. Obviously, Glenn got uh, told off, a good telling off, and after that, the car keys were hidden. Now, Glenn, you don't mention why the car keys were just left in the house. I would have hidden them somewhere if I'd been your dad. Mind you, you didn't need keys in the old days to get into a car and start the engine. I lost my keys once. I had an old Morris Oxford, lost the keys. Very easy to break into the car. You could just do that. And very easy, just lift the bonnet, clip a, a lead from here to here, from the coil to the battery, press the starter button under the under the bonnet and off you go. Job done. You don't need a key or didn't need a key back then. So that would have been a night. No, I'm putting bad ideas into people's heads now. Stone the crows. Got another dreadful one here to tell you. Ruby, lovely to hear from you. Ruby was married. I haven't got anything about ages or anything here or when this was, so... Ruby was married and her husband was a bully, as some of them are. After five years of marriage, she started to have an affair. That is the dreadful bit, Ruby, isn't it? Naughty. <laughs> and she'd been seeing this other chap for about a year. Her husband, he didn't hit her or anything like that. He was just a bit of a bully and miserable, apparently. Didn't want to go out, didn't want to go on holiday, didn't want to do anything, blah, blah, blah. Several people have said, what does blah, blah, blah mean? Because I'm often saying that. It means just sort of rubbish, 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 on and on. So Ruby had been seeing this other chap for a year. And the other chap had a house. And he said, look, why don't you leave your husband and move in with me? So what Ruby did, she said to her husband, change of plan at work. I'm now having to work away. She was uh, fairly high up, I think, in some company. They had offices around the country, apparently. So she said that she was going to have to work away Monday to Friday in some office elsewhere, so she wouldn't be home till Friday. Her husband wasn't bothered. So on the, mon <laughs> on the Monday morning, she went off to work and Monday evening went to the other chap's house, moved in with him basically for the week. Uh, come Friday, she went home to her husband. He didn't even ask how she'd got on or anything like that. She did this for several weeks. Husband wasn't at all bothered, still didn't ask about how the job was going or when this weekly trip away was going to end. So one weekend she said to him, I'm moving out. All oh, right, OK. She packed all her stuff and she moved out. He didn't seem bothered at all. They didn't have children, which was a blessing, and the house was rented. So she just moved out and went to live with this other chap and she never looked back. Apparently he just stayed in this rented house and she's not sure what happened to him. Lost contact, divorce eventually came through and that was that. So that's a good one, Ruby. Well, is it good? I'm a bit sad for you. Did you say, was it five years of marriage and he was miserable? Some people are miserable, aren't they? You know how it is. You'll meet one person and after you've had a chat for, say, 20 minutes, half an hour, you feel lifted, invigorated. Pleased that you met them. Someone else, and you're thinking, oh dear, oh, I wish I hadn't met them. Oh dear, I feel awful. You go away depressed, in need of Valium. <laughs> they don't do Valium anymore, do they? I think they call it something else. Thank you for that, Ruby. That's your dreadful thing that you did. I wonder when that was, and I wonder how old you were, and how old you are now. None of your business, you're saying. OK, fair enough. Had an amateur radio friend pop in this morning to see me, wanted me to program on his radio program in certain frequencies and stuff on the computer which I did and we were talking about when we first got into radio and he asked me whether I collected things in the old days nothing to do with radio not quite sure how that cropped up really and I said I collected cigarette cards and dinky cars and toys and stuff like that Meccano and he collected old photographs which is quite amazing not of him or his family or anything like that, but he would go round, this is back in the 60s, he's older than me, back in the 60s he'd go round antique or junk shops, whatever they were called there, well, bric-a-brac, wasn't it? Bric-a-brac shops, I think they used to be called, whatever they were. And he'd buy up old photograph albums, you know, half a crown. That's two and sixpence, 
if you're not old, turn sixpence, or could even be turn sixpence halfpenny. <laughs> Do you remember all that? That's one pounds seventeen and sixpence three farthings. How I ever worked that out? Well, I didn't, did I? I didn't work out money. And he had a massive collection of black and white and the sepia-type photos. And some of them, it turned out, were quite valuable. He was telling me that later in years, he didn't know what to do with them. You know, when he was young, it was great fun collecting all these. And some of them had writing on the back, so you knew what it was, the date, where it was. As the years passed, the decades passed, he got fed up with that. What do I do with this lot? And he went to some dealer somewhere in London. I don't know whether he went specially or just happened to be up. I don't know. And he got several thousand pounds, would you believe? He'd paid next to nothing for these over the years, just collected them. And once people knew he was collecting photos, he was given photos. People would say, oh, I've got an old album you could have. I know many, many times in the past I've talked about people collecting things, but it is interesting, isn't it? Some of the weird and wonderful things used to collect. I told you about that chap, didn't I, a little while ago, that collected anything and everything, and his house, well, his broom, then his house ended up looking like a museum. He just collected anything and everything, an old tin opener from the 1920s. Now, you might think, well, that's a waste of time, but no. How many people have got a 1920s tin opener to display? <laughs> None of you. I haven't. So that must be quite valuable. Not that I want it. I wouldn't want it even if he paid me to take it. But it is a collectible item. The thing is, with, with junk or whatever you want to call it, if it's old, then it's worth collecting, not purely for the financial value or gain, but to save it from being lost. That's what a lot of people used to like when I restored their vintage radios. You know, someone would come to me with a 1940s radio. This was my mother's wedding present, or this was my grandmother's back in 1940. It had been stuck up in the, in the attic for decades, and I restored the whole thing, the cabinet and everything. When they picked it up, it worked well, it looked good, and they were just amazed. It was really nice to see the kind of delight on their faces, I suppose. It was really nice. And I made a few quid out of it, of course. That's what it was all about. It was a full-time job for me. I didn't rip people off, but I had to obviously make a living. They were delighted because the radio that had been grannies back in 1942 or whenever was now up and running and working again and looking good. So, yes, it's nice to keep old things. Look at cars, old vintage cars that people keep. I mean, some of them... They go back to 1910, 1920, some of these old cars. The London to Brighton car run, you know, the vintage car run. That's good fun. We don't go a great deal, but we have a few times. We've been up somewhere on the route, found somewhere to park, sit on, on the route where they come along, and they all toot their horns burp, burp, <laughs> as they go chugging past. It's fantastic. We take photos and wave. They're really fantastic, these old cars. The moral of the story is it's great that people look after some of this old stuff, otherwise it would all be lost and none of us would ever see anything like it again, apart from photographs, of course. I wonder whether any of today's cars, like a, a 1924 Vauxhall or Ford whatever, will be <laughs> one day a collectible car. 50 years' time, 50 years' time, the thing would have fallen apart with all due respect to Ford and Vauxhall, of course. Can you really see any of these modern cars becoming a valuable vintage car? I can't. I suppose if someone buys a car, uses it for a couple of years and then garage it, or garage it for, from new, if you can afford to do that, just put it away, then in 50 years' time it might be worth... I've no idea what it would be worth. It might be worth something, mightn't it? Look... There we are, I've got a, a 2024 car, 50 years old. I don't know. Will there be cars? Will there be petrol? That's a thought, isn't it? 50 years from now, will there be petrol and diesel around? Probably not. It will be electric and goodness knows what. Well, I won't be here to see all the mess that's in the future, all the mess that's coming. Perhaps it won't be a mess. And if it is, well, our kids and their kids, well, they'll have to sort it all out, won't they? I dread to think. I dug a hole at the end of my parents' garden when I was about 12 years old. Quite a deep hole. It was going to be a camp. 
four feet by four feet, I suppose, and I'd gone down to probably five feet, chucked all the earth into a big pile. We had a very long garden, so, you know, Dad wasn't bothered about that. And it was quite good. I put a piece of wood over the top or several bits of wood and it was a good camp. I had a torch down there and one or two other bits and pieces. It was a really good camp. This was in the summer, of course. It wasn't raining a great deal because it would have flooded. Well, it did flood later. And one day I had this idea of tunnelling under the ground to extend the camp. (laughs) I tunnelled with a friend of mine who helped me we tunnelled under the fence and under the neighbour's garden, under his vegetable plot. This is a dreadful thing I did. <laughs> I'm not so innocent as I make out. Well, I don't make out I'm innocent, do I? We tunnelled four or five feet. It was a... What was the tunnel? I don't know. There was probably about three feet of earth above the tunnel. So I can't remember exactly. We tunnelled under his vegetable plot. <laughs> and it was great. Until it did rain once, and the following morning I went out there. It had stopped raining, been raining all night, and I looked over the fence. It was one of those chain link, you know, fences, not wood, you could see through it. Are they chain link? Whatever they are. Looked over the fence, or through the fence, and his vegetable plot had caved into my tunnel. He was standing there. He didn't see me go down the garden. He was standing there, hands on his hips, looking at his vegetables, shaking his head, he knew what had happened. He could see my my sort of camp the other side of the fence. And he turned and saw me. You, he said. Oi, oi, come here. What have you done? Uh, nothing. He said, you've tunneled under my garden, haven't you? I said, well, uh, a little bit. Yeah. And, you know, he laughed. I thought I was in trouble. He laughed. He said, that's exactly what I did when I was young. He said that he was always tunneling, him and his friends, always tunneling in the garden. And he told me a few stories about his escapades and what had happened and he'd been told off. I helped him pull his vegetables out of the hole and I did. I had got a couple of friends round and we filled it all in with the mountain of earth and that was the end of that. But I thought I was going to be in serious trouble. Great fun though, that's what we did as kids. That's what he did. Tell me his stories about when he was a kid and the dreadful things he did. I think it's good that kids do dreadful things, as long as it's legal, of course. Don't want to do anything illegal. Is it illegal to tunnel under someone else's garden? Probably probably some bylaw somewhere, isn't there? (laughs) Happy days. I used to go scrumping for apples and pears. That was good fun. Go home with paper carrier bag full of apples and lovely pears, beautiful British apples, really nice. My mum used to say, where'd you get that lot from? Oh... Oh, just it, they were in the road. Just in the road. They'd fallen off this apple tree. Yeah, right, OK, just in the road. Of course, we got caught a couple of times scrumping apples and things. Oi, what are you doing? Get out of my orchard. And we'd run like mad, you know, clamber over the fence or through the bushes, wherever it was. Now, that's illegal, isn't it? I suppose that's stealing. So, mind you, I do say even these days... If it's illegal, it's got to be great fun and really worth doing. I'm not talking about dreadful illegal things. I'm talking about pirate radio. That's illegal, but it's rather good, isn't it? (laughs) I mustn't incite people to pirate, must I? But you know what I mean? It's not mugging old ladies or smashing up things. Pirate radio is good for the country. I think it gives people more of a choice of music to listen to. And it's illegal, but uh, not to worry. I don't know whether my mother's going to listen to this episode. She does listen to a few of them. I've murdered her geranium plant. Stone the crows. She said, where am I going to put this for the winter? Because she lives in a flat and she's only got a balcony thing. I said, oh, I'll take that home. And Trish will say, yeah, we'll we'll take that. We'll put it uh, in the pergola under the plastic roof there. They'll keep it dry for the winter. Keep the frost off it. Well, we did keep it dry. I didn't water it at all, and all our geraniums. I had two long tubs of geranium, troughs or whatever, and they're all dead. I didn't water them at all. So what I've got to have to do is... You see, this is, this is naughty, isn't it? This is dreadful, murdering my mother's geranium plant. She hadn't had it long. I'm going to have to try and find a photo of it to see what colour it was, pink one or red one, whatever, and then buy a plant early spring 
and take it back to her. There we are. Look, you can put that on your patio now. I looked after it all the winter. That's lying, isn't it? <laughs> I've murdered her plant and then I'm lying about it. Well, it's a white lie. Is it a white lie? I'm sure it's a white lie. But our geraniums all appear dead as well. I don't know whether I can save any of them. Hers was certainly dead. It had gone to dust in this bowl of dry soil. <laughs> no, it's not funny. Well, if you're listening, Mum, I'm only joking. I didn't really kill it. Right, let's move on swiftly. Talking of alcohol and beer, which we weren't, when I was young, when I was a boy, my first drink was port and lemon. I was eight years old and my grandmother was drinking port and lemon and I had a sip and I said, that's nice. So she poured me a glass. Don't tell your mum, she said. <laughs> so that was really nice. But moving on to sort of 14, 15, you know, when you start trying things, I tried brown ale, a bottle of brown ale. That was nice. Then when I could sneak into pubs underage, I'd have a pint of mild, which was nice. But I went to a pub a little bit later on with my... I was, I was underage all this time, remember. When I actually got to 18, I'd been drinking all this other stuff. And in a pub with my future brother-in-law, and he bought two pints of lager. Now, I hadn't tried lager before. I drank half of it and sort of made weird, peculiar facial expressions. And he said, you don't like that, do you? And I said, no, it's disgusting. And I still think lager's disgusting. Anyway, he said, well, I'll finish that half if you're going to leave it. So he finished it off. I was used to far better things than lager. That first bottle of brown ale I ever had, that was near the boys' club. Do you remember I mentioned the boys' club the other day? That was a little pub round the corner from the boys' club that had an off-licence. And I went in there, and I think it was one and sixpence, one and sixpence, halfpenny, whatever it was, the chap served me. He could see I'm only about what, 13, 14. He didn't care. And I, I said, I'll have a bottle of beer. He said, what? He said, well, what beer do you want? And I said, well, that, that'll do, that there, bottle of brown ale. So he gave me that, even took the top off for me. <laughs> he knew I'd come from the boys' club. He probably did quite well, I don't know. Anyway, I then got into things like bitter, you know, draft bitter and real ales and stuff. Lager is just something that I've never particularly liked, although I must have had gallons and gallons of the stuff over the years. It's not something I like. It's fizzy and it bloats you and all this stuff. I don't know why I mentioned that. Something reminded me of that earlier and I can't remember what it was, but there we are. I just remember my future brother-in-law, who now is my brother-in-law. Hello, Paul. I just remember him saying, you don't like that. So he finished my... I'd left half a pint. <laughs> Happy days. Funny thing is with me, a lot of people like gin and vodka, all these different flavoured gins. I don't like any spirits at all. Don't like any of them. In the past, I've tried liqueurs. Was it Cointreau? Cointreau is kind of orange and it's just full of sugar. It's sticky. It's, it's so sticky. It's like treacle. I don't like it. I don't like cocktails. <laughs> all I like, really are the uh, beer, you know, proper real ales, not even lager. I've tried gin, of course, and vodka and various other weird things. In the old days, it was, well, it probably still is, martini, shinzano, all that stuff, rum, don't like any of it. I'll stick to the bottles of real ale. I had one the other day, which was coffee stout. Now, that was strange. I've never had that before. Coffee stout. I did drink it, but it was rather... I don't think it's something I would drink again. I think if I want a cup of coffee, I'll have coffee. Coffee stout is rather odd. But so many... There are millions now of different bottles of real ale. My neighbour, excellent, gave me a box full of bottles for Christmas. I'm not sure whether the coffee stout was in one in that box. I can't remember. But they're all lovely, all these different names. All different flavours, fantastic. I like all that. I do love the real ales. Well, as I've said before, they're not technically real ale, are they? Because I think real ale is still fermenting in the barrel. Well, is that right when you pour it out? Yeah, I don't know. I'll have to find out. Add that to my list of things unknown. My son in North Carolina, he says, what do you want beer for? You don't need it. <laughs> now, I like perhaps a little bit of chocolate now and then, or cake. Ah, he says, no, you don't need that. Don't eat it because you don't need it. 
I suppose, is it wasted calories? Is that what they call it? I know I don't need a bottle of real ale, <laughs> but it is rather nice. I won't tell him about that, though, that I've got a fridge full. We've got a drinks cupboard with everything you could imagine in there, all the spirits and everything. Most of them come from around Christmas. You know, people bring beer on Boxing Day, they'll bring wine and beer and goodness knows what, bottles of gin and stuff, and it all goes in the cupboard after Christmas, what's left, and basically it stays there. So we've got a huge stock of alcohol that just stays there and we don't drink it. It's all right having a drink now and then, isn't it? But there's no point in getting... What's that word beginning with P? Oh yes, drunk, that's it. No point in doing that. Someone the other day mentioned smoking. They want to give up smoking. And they said, when did you give up? Well, it was 2008. So it's 16 years ago I stopped smoking. And they said, uh, do you still fancy a cigarette now and then? I don't. But the funny thing is sometimes, only sometimes, if I get a whiff of fresh smoke, I do think, oh, that's rather nice. I know it's absolutely dreadful smoking. I suppose, what did I smoke? 42 years. Started when I was about 15. 42 years of smoking. And fortunately, I got away with it. I don't have, what is it, emphysema and all these other weird things. I'm very lucky I got away with it. But that little, not an urge, whatever you'd call it, it's not an urge, but it's still there, not a yearning but I do get the odd whiff of fresh tobacco smoke. And awful though it is, I think that is rather nice. What I do like is the smell of cannabis. <laughs> Someone smoking cannabis. That is lovely. Trish hates it. She doesn't like the smell of that at all. I like it. That takes me back to the 60s when people around me smoked cannabis. Not me, of course. Innocent as I was. <laughs> happy days. Very happy days on the cannabis. But that's interesting though, so 16 years ago I stopped smoking and even now I get the odd little sniff and oh dear, let's not go into that, I'll go and buy some cigarettes. I'll tell you what, I don't know how people afford to smoke. I saw some the other day, £20 a packet, a packet of 20, that's a pound each. In the old days in the pub someone would say splash the ash and you'd perhaps give six cigarettes away if you're in a group, that's six pounds. You can't do that now. I remember saying to people, do you realise these are now 20 pence each? So that's going back a bit. Now they're a pound each. I just don't know how people afford it, especially people, I knew a chap, 80 a day. 80? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's 80 pounds a day, isn't it, if they're a pound each? How can you spend 80 pounds a day on cigarettes? Well, he didn't, because I'm going back to the 60s, but that's a hell of a lot of money, isn't it? to go up in smoke. Mind you, the price of lager, talking to one of the sons-in-law the other day, up in London, he says it's now £10 a pint. In some places, it's more than that. <laughs> so you go out for a couple of beers and you have a packet of cigarettes, oh, you'd need a mortgage. You'd have to take out a mortgage. <laughs> a few of us were talking about the price of food the other day and Trish was saying that a lot of things have gone up, not just a little bit, a few pennies, but a lot. They've gone up a lot. Some things have almost doubled in price. Now, here's the thing. A lot of people say, oh, yeah, but if you're comparing to the 60s, the 50s, as I always am, that's different because the wages were different. This was different. You can't make the comparison. I know all that. I know all that. It just seems that things these days are very expensive. You'd have to work out, wouldn't you, what the price, for example, of 20 cigarettes was back in the 50s and what the average wage was, and then do the same today to see the difference, the percentage and all that stuff. So really, people are right when they say to me, well, you can't make these comparisons, you shouldn't do that. They are right, I suppose, but there again, I'm right as well. Things are more expensive now than they used to be. That's something else that is odd. They keep on about the average wage. I forget what it is now. Is it something like 35000 30000 how can that be average? Very few people earn that sort of money. Very few, what should I say, normal, ordinary people. You know, you work in a shop, you work in a garage, repairing cars. I don't know what you get. Maybe you're on 20, 25 grand. They're on about this average wage, which very few people are on. I suppose the people that are on a few million a year, they put the average right up. Footballers, for example, 
earning 100 grand a week, they take the average right up. So it's not a true average, really, is it? I've always thought that when they say, oh, the average wage is so-and-so. In the past, I've thought, well, I wouldn't mind that. I wouldn't mind being on the average wage. I'd be well off. I've just been online and looked up the average wage in the UK. One place says 28 grand, one says 35. So I don't know, I suppose you have to take the average of the averages. <laughs> it's about 30 grand, I think most people centre it on, somewhere around 30 grand. I don't want to overdo the stories about dreadful things, but I'm reminded of a friend of mine, Archie. Back in the 1960s, he was considerably older than me. He and his girlfriend were planning to get married. They both lived at home with their parents. They were saving like mad. They were engaged. Made a nice couple. I knew them both well. And one day I bumped into Archie and he said his girlfriend had left him for someone else. He was devastated, of course. They'd shared out their savings, so that was all above board and fair. But he was he was devastated. They'd been together for, I let me think, I can't remember, say a year, 18 months, planning to get married all sorts of plans they were making for the future. And suddenly she left him for someone else. It wasn't Archie in this case that did the dreadful thing. It was his girlfriend. I won't mention her name. Archie had always done the football pools. Who remembers the football pools in the UK? A lot of people did them religiously. My dad did. I never got into that. Archie did, though. And only three weeks after him and his girlfriend split up, he won the pools. He won, I think it was about 3000 which was a lot of money back then. This is when average house prices were, what, about 3000 were they, in the 60s? Must have been, because he went off and bought a house. <laughs> of course, his ex-girlfriend got to hear of this, tried to get back with him. Archie didn't want to know her, of course. He was in his house. He was doing very well. No mortgage, no rent to pay. <laughs> he was literally laughing all the way to the bank, as they used to say. Why do they say that? I've no idea. As the years went by, I've lost touch with Archie now. I think he went to Australia. A lot of people went to Australia. Must be because it's nice and hot there. And Rob's there. Hello, Rob. Archie met someone else. They got married. They had children. And his ex-girlfriend never, ever gave up. Even when... Archie's married with children. She was still pestering him. I didn't mean to leave you and all this business. I know it wasn't fair. Take me back. Get rid of your wife. Take me back. She was crazy. It really had blown her mind to think that she'd left him. And within weeks, he won three grand. I'm pretty sure it was about three grand. So that was a dreadful thing she did that didn't pay off, did it? <laughs> That'll teach her. It's now Saturday, the sun is shining beautifully, just been out into the garden. Things are in bud, there are things popping up from under the ground. Excellent. Just got back from my mother's. Trish did a bit of housework for her, and I had to own up about the geranium, the uh, the homicide. <laughs> and she laughed. My mum laughed when I said I've murdered it. But uh, I will get her another one, because we've got to replace ours. Talking of looking after things for people friend of mine, this is years ago, he looked after a mouse. His neighbours were off on holiday abroad somewhere and the, their son had a mouse, a pet mouse, in this cage. I'll look after that, he said. When they got back from holiday, the thing had died. He'd looked after it properly. He'd given it food and water. he just found the thing dead one morning. No apparent reason. He was looking around various pet shops to try and replace it. And he found one that was similar, not identical, but similar. And when the people got back, he, he took the mouse back next door and said, there we are, look, he's OK. The boy just said, oh, thanks for looking after him and didn't seem to notice. So that was a result. That reminds me of another tale, or oh, tale, sorry, mouse, tale, no, sorry. My mother was here once and daughter number three said, look, look, there's my little Russian hamster. He's asleep in my hand. And my mother looked at him and she thought, well, that's not sleeping. It's dead. It's passed away. And, and daughter number three, she hadn't any idea. She carefully put him back in the cage. There we are. He's having a nice little sleep. My mother said to me, the thing is dead. And I said, yes, I know. We'll have to explain the things later. We did. We had a burial ceremony later that day. But that was sad. As my mum and I often do, we had a chat Good old chat about the old days, 
We talked about the winter of 47. She was 14 years old. She remembers that. She was saying the snowflakes. Oh, this reminds me of you, Gail, with your 12-foot snowdrifts. My mother was saying in 1947 the snowflakes were huge. She said nothing like these fluffy little things we get these days. They were huge snowflakes. And the snow was very dry. Because very often it's wet, isn't it? It's more... Well, not quite sleet, but, you know, in between sleet and snow, wet snowflakes, not nice. And I said to her, what about the floods afterwards? Because we saw the documentary. Floods everywhere, poor people with their houses flooded. She said, oh, I didn't have floods where we were. I didn't hear about that. Now, here's the thing. I said to her, no, you probably wouldn't. All you had in 1947 was a radio and newspapers, no telly. No internet, no phone, no uh, news flashes and your phone bleeping and your watch flashing up news, like mine does every five minutes. News alert. (laughs) So all they had was the newspaper and she reckons that her dad didn't have newspapers. That's my granddad, of course. He didn't have newspapers. All they had was the radio. And the radio, the BBC Home Service, they would have had news at, say, I don't know, six o'clock in the evening, perhaps midday, unlike today where it's 24-hour news stations on telly and radio. So she didn't hear of the floods. Because I was saying the documentary showed floods all over the country, houses, farm animals, livestock, just all killed. Because what could the farmers do? The fields are flooded, they just become huge lakes. And the livestock died, basically drowned. And she knew nothing about that because there was no news as there is today. That's interesting. Well, I found it interesting anyway. These days, if the Prime Minister sneezes, it's all over the all over the world within a second, isn't it? It's up on my watch. Prime Minister sneezes. Struth. Stone the rooks. The Prime Minister has sneezed. It's true, though, isn't it? No matter what happens these days, within seconds, it's flashed around the world. Unlike Pathé News, which I won't talk about because I've mentioned... Pathé News a lot in the past, but uh, briefly, they make a, a film, say, I don't know, say in Egypt or wherever, that film's got to get back to London, it's got to be developed, blah, blah, blah. There's that blah, blah, blah again. Several people have said, what does that mean? It's like rhubarb, rhubarb, rhubarb. Have you heard that one? When you get extras on a film, they're, they're shooting a film, okay, a certain scene, and you want some background noise of people talking, and apparently, I don't know how true this is, apparently what the extras would do is all sit there, say it's in a pub, and they're all saying rhubarb, 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 rhubarb. And that is meant to sound like sort of background chatter. Does it sound like that? It doesn't at all, actually. Was it Peter Sellers in a film? He was in a lift. And, no, I won't go on about that, because <laughs> it's a bit rude. But one of them made a rude noise. or well, that was the idea, to make a rude noise in the lift. And they said the way to do it is to say the word now. I wonder whether you remember this film. So one of them just said, now. And that was meant to sound like a rude noise, now. But it didn't work. (laughs) And another thing, Ricky Gervais, I don't know why I'm off on all this. The outtakes of, uh, do you remember Derek, the programme Derek with uh, Ricky Gervais was Derek in the, was it a nursing home or retirement home, whatever? They're in this caravan and this outtake, I can't mention any of it. It was dreadful. But him and the other chap, the chap with the moustache, who was always on the the treacle-type lager, you know, the sort of 12% proof lager. What's it called? I forget what it's called. Is it Carlsberg Extra or something? They were doing a scene in the caravan and Ricky Gervais just couldn't stop laughing every time he... Look look it up, look up outtakes and caravan, uh, Ricky Gervais, on Derek, the programme was called. And in the end, they couldn't include the the scene in the the programme because he just kept bursting out laughing. Anyway, that's enough. (laughs) That's enough of that. I do like outtakes. I have said, haven't I, in the past, that I'll include some outtakes on my podcasts. The trouble is that there aren't that many because I don't really get interruptions. And if I do, I just delete that bit of audio and then, then carry on again afterwards. Say I get a phone call, I'll just stop and then carry on afterwards. There have been one or two occasions when I have uh, mouthed an expletive or two if something has gone wrong with the, the computer 
uh, the mixer or something. What, what's going on here? And I might say, oh, crikey, or crumbs. <laughs> Next time I say crumbs, then I'll, I'll include that outtake. <laughs> My mother and I were talking, as I said, about the old days, and she mentioned the police. And I said to her that sometimes I'd play on a building site, you know, with a few friends when I'm kind of 10, 11 years old. And he'd have a copper go by on his bicycle and he'd see us and stop. Oi, you lot, get out of there. <laughs> What's your name? What's your address? Get out of that building site. And you'd even get a clip round the head, you know, clip round the ear, you know, a slap round the head from the copper. And she said these days the, the policeman would end up in court or end up in prison or something. You'd have the parents go to the police station and complain and stone the crows. And as I said to her, the police, you know, when we were told off by policemen, which wasn't that often when I was a kid, but every now and then you get caught doing something, well, like climbing uh, over a new house that was being built. We'd be going up and down the ladder or playing around somewhere in the, in the building, the half-built house. And he would stop us for our own safety. It was for our benefit, you know, not that we were stealing or damaging, but it was for our benefit. That's why he would stop us. And that was rather nice. And as she said, you know, people back then had a lot of respect for the police. And I did as a kid. I mean, obviously, you know, don't get caught. But if you did get caught, it was, oh, look out, here comes the copper. Now I'm in trouble. Same with the discipline in schools. That seems to have disappeared these days. In my day, when I was a boy, I got the cane. <laughs> it was not funny. It hurt. I remember one Friday I got the cane for playing truant. One Friday afternoon. I was just sneaking out of school and the deputy head called me. You boy, get back here. Six of the best. And when I got home, I had a look at my bum. And there's marks, these cane marks, right? Oh, really did hurt. They're not called wheels. Were they called welds? I don't know what they're called, but it hurt anyway. I spent the whole weekend barely able to sit down. But that was the way it was back then. I played truant. I got caught. I got the cane. End of. Changing the subject completely, there's talk now on the news about cars parking on pavements. I don't know whether that happens abroad. Does that happen in your country where you are? Here, we park on the pavements. Well, I say we, I try not to. Sometimes you have no choice because it's a very narrow road and you've got cars either side. And if they parked just on the road, you couldn't get cars going through. It would just stop the flow of traffic. So what people do is put half their car on the pavement, two wheels on the pavement each side. That allows at least cars to go one way down the street. And they're talking about banning pavement parking. Now there's for and against. I'm not quite sure which side I'm on. I can see both sides of the argument. If you park on the pavement, the traffic can flow. But if you're in a wheelchair, you've got a pram, a pushchair, you can't get along the pavement because you've got parked cars taking up half the half the pavement. The sidewalk, as they call it in North Carolina and elsewhere in America. Anyway, here it's the pavement. <laughs> if they ban pavement parking, the road's blocked. So what is the answer? I really don't know. I don't like cars on the pavements, but you can't always park on the road because you'll block the road. Apparently in Japan, is this true? I think my son told me this. There's no parking on the roads. Roads are for traffic, moving traffic. You don't park on the road. It's not a car park. I don't know how true that is. He told me that years ago. I will check with him. I know he's listening. I know he's listening to this podcast, so perhaps he can uh, message me and let me know. Right, what else? We're coming up to, where are we? Coming up to the hour. Raise rants at protonmail.com if you want to praise me or moan at me <laughs> or tell me how deep your snow drifts. There we are. Where Gail is, 12 foot snow drifts, five feet of snow in one weekend. Can anyone beat that? Anyone up in the Arctic, Antarctic down below? Anyone there? Got the internet so you can email me. <laughs> Love to hear from you. That would be good, wouldn't it, to get a, an email from the North Pole or the South Pole. I know they have research stations and whatever there and they've got radio i wonder whether they have internet that would be good anyone at the north pole that reminds me sister-in-law's off to lapland is it next week or the week after nice and cold there they're hoping to see the lights the aurora but apparently it's a bit hit and miss i've never been up there to see the lights i would like to but i don't like the cold <laughs> 
Now, if the lights were somewhere down the Mediterranean, then I'd probably go and have a look. But they're not. They're up the north, aren't they? Cyprus. I've written Cyprus here. I've been there a few times, and one thing I've noticed, their pavements, the curbs, are, in, in most places, about a foot high. And I thought, well, why is that? Why are they a foot high? It's a bit dangerous. You you got to step off the curb and you could trip or whatever. And a chap there that ran a bar, I asked him, I said, why are these pavements a foot high? He said, it's so cars don't park on the pavements. Well, that's an idea, isn't it? There again, imagine the cost of raising all the pavements up by a foot. That would cost a fortune. Oh, the other thing they're talking about is cutting the pavement width in half. Now, that might be OK on some very wide pavements, but a lot of them are very narrow as it is. So widen the road and take half the pavement away each side of the road. I can see the idea of that, but is that going to work? Basically, and I know I've said this a hundred times before, there are too many cars, too many people, too many cars. That's the problem. The majority of the roads in Britain were built, well, like ours, well over a hundred years ago. So it's narrow. It wasn't made for cars and lorries and all the traffic we have these days. It was made for a horse and cart. Hence, as I was talking about the other day, the turning circle. We've got two turning circles in our road where the horse can pull the cart round a full circle to go back the other way because he can't reverse. So a lot of the roads were built well, 100 years ago or more. And they just weren't designed for these massive lorries. We get huge lorries, even up our little road, delivering things or whatever they're doing. These roads just weren't designed for that. Trish and I were watching a documentary the other day about the M1 uh, opening, you know, the motorway, the M1. They showed the traffic from a bridge. The camera was on a bridge. They showed the traffic. There goes a Ford Anglia. There's a Ford console. Oh, look, a Vauxhall Victor or whatever it was. And... <laughs> There's sort of half a dozen cars going past. Oh, there comes another car. There goes a lorry. These days, gridlock, isn't it? It looks like a massive car park, especially the M25. Again, these motorways, the M1, it wasn't designed for the amount of cars and lorries. Most of the freight in the old days went by rail. Of course, they ripped up half the railway lines in the country, didn't they? Dr Beeching, I can see his point. You're running a steam engine, putting a few carriages back and forth to some country village I don't know three or four times a day and you might have a total of five passengers per day <laughs> paying a sort of one and sixpence halfpenny, and it's costing you 10 quid a day to run the thing so yeah I can see his point but it's a shame they ripped up the lines they should have left them there I think some of them have been replaced but surely it makes sense to send all the freight by rail which is what we had, to depots, like we had here Hove, just between here and Brighton. Hove had a goods yard where they had piles of coal and all this stuff, they were all delivered there, and then that was distributed locally. But the massive coal trains, all by rail, didn't clog up the roads, of course. Anyway, there we are. No point going on, is there? No point in moaning, as my mum always said, no point in moaning about something if you can't do anything about it. And she was right. But I'll still moan anyway. <laughs> well, you have to. Someone has to moan, otherwise nothing will get done. Mind you, nothing gets done even if you do moan. What's going to happen in the future? One wonders. That's another thing we were talking about, the future. What state are we going to leave the country in to our children? They'll have to sort it out, won't they? They'll have to deal with it. They'll look back and they'll think, stone the crows. What did our parents and grandparents have in mind? when they did this or did that, or rather didn't do this and didn't do that. I have a note here. Music of the 60s. Two or three of you have asked about the music of the 60s. Youngsters, that is, our younger listeners, of which we do have quite a few. I won't mention that now because the hour's up, but perhaps I'll talk about music of the 60s next Sunday. In the meantime, I will see you on Wednesday. I've got the dentist, Tuesday. What is it? 9.45? 8.45? He'll be rubbing his hands together. Oh, look. Oh, here's Ray. Oh, and Trisha. Jolly good. I can now book my next summer's holiday. Now, what can I chart? How's your bank account, Ray? All right, is it? Jolly good show. Take a seat. <laughs> I shall say no. Oh, you need a, a filling, a little, little bit of work. No, I should just say no. No, forget it. I'll wait till that tooth is bad. Then you can rip it out. 
That way I only pay five grand instead of ten. <laughs> Unhappy days. Seriously, life's good, isn't it? I shall see you on Wednesday. Don't forget to email me if you want to moan about anything. Or tell me to moan about something. Yes, suggest something I can moan about. I'm good at moaning. Ask Treasure. <laughs> Take care. See you on Wednesday. Bye-bye for now.